Okay. Thank you, Mike. Okay, if um, you've seen our newsletter, if you were here with us last week, it's going to be no surprise to you that we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, uh, and we're going to be spending some time exploring the first 13 verses uh, of Mark and chapter 1. In fact, you may have been so well prepared, you may already be there uh, right now in your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles with you. When it comes to the time to read it, they'll come up on the screen. Uh, so it's, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's no problem. Um, but the reason I say, or the reason why we've been including uh, the verses that we're going to be speaking on this week in our newsletter, the reason why we shared it last week and asked you to maybe have a read through and come this morning having already read it, is because through this period of Lent, so Lent which started on, on Wednesday, I believe, if I've got my dates right, and goes right the way through uh, to Easter weekend, um, what we're going to be doing and what we would love to invite you to do is to journey through Mark's gospel with us over these 40 days, to take this opportunity to read through the gospel according to Mark, what he recorded of the life of Jesus, uh, and we're going to be sending out each week uh, kind of the passages of scripture to be reading for that week, and then at various points, so on Sundays we're going to be coming, and at various points we're going to be stopping off, and we're going to be unpacking some of this gospel together, and thinking through what that means, uh, and really just enjoying exploring Jesus' life uh, together. So, let's get straight into it then. So, Mark chapter 1, just the 13 verses to be read this week. Uh, other weeks, there's going to be more than that, but this is where we're starting. So, uh, Mike, you've already read this. I was really worried that you were going to steal all of my ideas when you started this morning. But let's read it again. So, Mark chapter 1, from verse 1. says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold... I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight or make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Okay, so my main focus for this morning, and what I want us to really uh, kind of dive into, is Jesus' baptism. So those verses are kind of from verse 9 onwards. But I don't want to rush straight there, because I think there's a lot actually in those opening verses that we need to, to think about and to consider, particularly as we're... Uh, thinking about this series that we're doing where we're journeying through 
Mark's Gospel together. And the first thing is this. We call it the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel according to Mark. Mark doesn't call it that. This isn't his Gospel. Where does he start? He says, this is the Gospel, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the good news. We can say, remember, gospel meaning good news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, for Mark, this book isn't about him at all. He wants to direct us straight to Jesus. He's saying, everything that I'm going to write to you, everything that you're going to read from this point on, it's all about Jesus. It's all about who he is. It's all about what he's come to do. And really, he's kind of outlining his purpose right at the outset. He makes it clear to us his purpose is to reveal Jesus. And through his words, he's going to narrate Jesus' identity, his life, and his teaching. You see, for Mark, and actually for us to consider, what Mark's looking to do is not, is not just for us to meet Jesus, not just to be introduced to Jesus. I think it's something far deeper than that, because what we will see is that this gospel, what this, these writings are, and what we see from Jesus is a call to discipleship. To know and to be known. To have a relationship with Jesus. And this is Mark's purpose. And that as we journey through this together over these 40 days, that is what we are going to see. And not only that, Mark wastes no time in declaring who Jesus is. What does he say right at the start? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is no, not just an ordinary man that I'm writing about. This is the Son of God. And this series that we're in, we've called it Follow Me. Not as in follow me, don't follow me. It's about following Jesus. Because actually that's the call that Jesus makes. That's the invitation to discipleship. Come, follow me. Journey with me. Learn from me. Enjoy relationship with me. And so we're going to be journeying through Mark, together. We're going to be following Jesus, if you like, in that sense. Following through his life. Following through his teaching. But it's more than that. This is Jesus' call. This is Jesus' invitation that he makes. Come. Come and follow me. Give your life to following me. Enjoy fellowship and relationship with me. Now, over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we've touched a few times, actually, on how the Bible is not just lots of disjointed Stories uh, that are there to help kind of illustrate teaching points. Actually, the Bible is one true story. This is God's story. And Mark's starting point is to connect Jesus to the prophets of the Old Testament. As the prophets were those who would proclaim and declare what God was going to do. To call people to turn back to God. Mark starts, doesn't he, by... um, uh, uh, by reminding us, refreshing our memories of what, what is said in Isaiah, the prophet, and in the prophets. He's connecting Jesus to the promises of the one that they were waiting for, to the promises of God. And with the appearance of John the Baptist, this, pro- this prophecy, this one that Mark's highlighted, is fulfilled. The one who has come to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the people ready for the one who was to come. And in, as we see these prophecies be fulfilled, we're reminded that God keeps his promises. And we're seeing this fulfillment of God keeping his promises as John the Baptist arrives 
on the scene. And it might feel like we're moving through quite quickly here. It's because Mark really moves quite quickly. You'll notice as he, on the way through, the word immediately or suddenly comes up, I think, 40 times. He's just like, just wanting to just reveal to us uh, all about Jesus. You see, what Mark is revealing to us and what we're seeing and actually uh, what the coming of Jesus means and what John the Baptist was calling the people to is this, is God is calling people to himself. Just as he had done throughout history, God is working in their hearts in preparation of the coming Messiah, of the promised deliverer, of the one that people were waiting with great expectation and great hope for. And what we see in these opening verses is God is stirring people's hearts. God is calling people to himself and telling them to get ready. And John, John the Baptist, was playing his part within this. He was the one who came to prepare the way and what he was called to do and what he was doing to help prepare the people for the arrival of Jesus was to be baptising people in water. He was baptising people in the River Jordan and we're told that the purpose of this, what he was calling them to, was first and foremost was repentance. This turning away from a life of, uh, it, which really is in opposition to God turning away from their sins, those things that would have kept them separated from God. And as they do so, they then receive forgiveness of sins. So it's a turning away, but then also a receiving of forgiveness. And this is what John was doing to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus. And all the while, John does not point at all to himself. But it always is pointing to Jesus, the one who was to follow after him. He's saying, look, this isn't, it's not about me. This isn't the end. Actually, this is to get you ready for the one who is to come. And we need to be ready for his arrival. We need to be prepared. We need to be looking out for it. And then comes the day that Jesus comes to John to be baptised. Just imagine what that day must have been like for John. When Jesus, the one he had been proclaiming, the one he had been preparing the people for, he's there and he's asking John to baptise him. And this is going to be our focus for the rest of our time together uh, in the scriptures. And a lot of what I want to share has been shaped very much by Timothy Keller, who in turn uh, would, uh, has shared that a lot of his thoughts on this have been shaped by C.S. Lewis, uh, among others. So let's, I'm just going to read again from, about the baptism of Jesus. So from, from verse 9, just to refresh our minds. So when Jesus arrives to John to be baptised, we're told this, that in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The thing I want to pick up on this is who was involved? Who do we see in the baptism of Jesus? Because in those verses that we've just read, we see the Father. God the Father is there. The Son is there. And the Spirit is there. All three. What we would call the triune God. 
You know, the word Trinity, it's not a, a biblical word. We don't find it anywhere, but it's a word that's been, uh, that someone's come up with just to help us to try to begin to understand the, just this wonderful truth of the three, three persons of God, yet all fully God, who all make up the Godhead. What we would call the triune God. And we see all three in Jesus' baptism. But these are the same three parties we also see somewhere else. If we go right back to the beginning, we see them in creation. If we start right at the beginning of Genesis, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God was there hovering over the waters. A little later, when uh, they come to, through, through the creation story, as they come to create mankind, which is what uh, stepping stones are going to be looking at this morning which is really wonderful that they've been able to journey through that. Actually, we see when it comes to, to making man and woman, God doesn't say, let me make them in my image. He says, let us make them in our image. And then, just to help us to understand it a little bit more, in the beginning of John's Gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word, which is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created through him and for him and by him. So the picture I'm trying to build up here to help us to understand is that in the, the, the original creation we see Father, Son and Spirit all involved. And in the last series, if you were here, in the last series that we were working through the gospel, working through the good news, one of the big points that we were really trying to draw our attention to and really trying to root ourselves in is that the, what the gospel is really all about, this good news of what God has done through Jesus, ultimately is the recreation and the renewal of all things. Everything that has been fractured and corrupted and broken by sin throughout all of creation, actually the gospel is, is, will culminate ultimately in the recreation and the renewal of all things. And Jesus coming is absolutely central to that and so what Mark is doing by drawing our attention to Father, Son and Spirit he's pointing back to original creation can you see where I'm coming from? where in original creation we see the, the, the full Godhead Father, Son and Spirit at work but so Mark is also showing to us actually in this recreation this renewal that is to come that it is also a project of the triune God. And in what we see as Jesus is baptised, as he comes up out of the water, what do we see? We see that the Father covers the Son with words of affirmation. He covers the Son with words of love. Not for what he's done. This is right at the very beginning of his ministry, before he's teaching, before he's healing, before he's performing miracles, before any of that, the Father is covering the Son with words of affirmation, declaring that he is his beloved Son with whom he is well pleased. Not because of what he's done, but because of who he is. Because he is the Father's Son. But then we also see the Spirit, don't we? And the Spirit covers the Son with power. So we've got this dynamic going on, haven't we, of the Son 
being covered by affirmation and the love of the Father, and also being covered with power from the Spirit. But this dynamic is not new to this moment. Let me just jump into John chapter 17. This is uh, Jesus' prayer, just before he's about to be uh, arrested, before the crucifixion. And Jesus, as he prays to the Father, he prays this. So from the beginning of chapter 17, he says uh, that when Jesus had spoken his words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Just a little bit earlier in chapter 16, from verse, uh, this is going to be from verse 13. When Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit who is to come, he says that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So can you see, we've got this relationship going on between Father, Son and Spirit, where they're glorifying one another where they're serving one another, where they're moving towards one another. And we just read in those uh, verses in in John 17, 17, 17.5, Jesus says, actually, this has been happening for all eternity. This has been happening among the Godhead for all eternity, before the creation of anything. This has always been true. Now, One of the books that I found incredibly helpful in shaping my thoughts on this, but also my understanding of the Trinity, is a book by Mike Reeves called The Good God. I highly would recommend it. If you've not had a chance to read it, get hold of a copy. Uh, It's so, so helpful. Um, And again, a lot of what what I'm sharing today has been shaped by uh, what Mike Reeves has written in that book. And I remember there's a bit in there where um, he's talking about actually how is it that we... How is it that we understand God? How do we relate to God? We might try and relate to him through his works, through the things that he has created. But actually, Mike Reeves says that there's a problem there. Because if God's essential identity is to be creator, then he needs a creation in order to be who he is. Okay, let me say that again. If God's essential identity is to be creator, then he needs a creation in order to be who he truly is. Which means, before creation, he wasn't who he, who he truly is. So that can't be true. But God hasn't chosen primarily to reveal himself to us through creation or through his works. God has chosen to reveal himself through his Son. Because God has always been a Father. The Trinity, God, Father, Son and Spirit, the Godhead, has always existed before the creation of anything else. They've always been relating to one another. They've always been in relationship with one another for all eternity. The Godhead, not self-centered, but self-giving. 
not static, expecting everything to come to them, but looking, moving towards one another, centering on one another, giving themselves to one another. What did has Jesus been writing? Glorifying one another. If you like, drawing attention to the other, serving the other, loving the other. And that has been true for all of eternity. That is what God has always been doing. Delighting in himself, if I can put it that way. Delighting in Father, Son and Spirit. 1 John 4 verse 8, it says that God is love. That can only be true because that has always been true of God. God has always been love. In this relationship of Father, Son and Spirit. Throughout all of eternity. C.S. Lewis, he um, just has this wonderful imagery in terms of what this looks like. He says that God is a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think it irreverent, a kind of dance. I think that's just a really beautiful picture, this imagery of this, this dance going on. Among the Godhead. Can you see where he's coming from? Father, Son and Spirit. Centering on the other. Moving towards the other. Always looking to glorify the other. Always looking to love the other. Always looking to worship. Uh, sorry, always looking to, uh, to love and serve the other. It's not static. God is not static in that sense. It's just beautiful imagery. This dance. You see, if God is love and always has been love, then love cannot be secondary. Love has to be primary. And we were made to enter into this dance. That is why we were made. We were made to enter into this dance. God did not create us in order to become who he was meant to be. But he, he created us in order, to make, in order that we would enter into this dance. To enjoy relationships of love. To enjoy relationships of self-giving love. And the question that Tim Keller poses is this. Is how do we get into the dance? How do we get into this dance that we were created for? The answer is this. Only through Jesus. It's the only way. Only through Jesus. And Jesus' baptism is absolutely fundamental within this. You see, Jesus was baptised by John. Do you remember this baptism was about repentance and about forgiveness of sins? But neither of those two things were, were true of Jesus, were they? He had never sinned. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father. Only doing what he saw the Father doing. Only doing what the Father had called him to do. And so for Jesus, when he comes to be baptised, it's not about repentance, because he had nothing to be repentant of. It's not about forgiveness of sins, because he didn't have anything to be forgiven. So why is Jesus baptised? Jesus is baptised, firstly, out of obedience. It's what the Father had called him to do. But secondly, so that he would be able to identify with his people, that he would identify with us in our sin, 
in our fractured relationship with the Father, in the distance between us and God, Jesus steps into that gap and he identifies with us through baptism. So his baptism is important. But then you'll notice we didn't stop there when we read, did we? What we see after Jesus is baptised is that the Holy Spirit sends him out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by Satan. 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, that's what the period of Lent is meant to draw our minds to and to help us to reflect on. And there's a reason why Jesus did this, right, having been, having been baptised, having been filled with the Spirit, before he then goes on his ministry, his teaching ministry, when he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And the reason why is because he is to do what Adam was unable to do. What I mean by that, we, we went back to creation a little while ago, didn't we? How the Godhead was fully involved, fully there, it was their plan for creation. But if we go back there as well, we also see, don't, don't we, that with Adam and Eve, with God's command that they were not to eat any of the fruit from the one tree that God had told them not to. And yet they, Satan comes in, Satan tempts them, he twists God's word, he gets them to doubt not only what God said, but God's character. And they don't resist the temptation, do they? They give in to the, the temptation. And sin enters in. But what we see is that Jesus, when he's in the wilderness, and he's being tempted by Satan, he does what Adam was unable to do. He doesn't give in to the temptation. He keeps his eyes on the Father. He keeps being obedient to the call of the Father and the direction of the Father. And that is what Jesus continues to do through his life. If you like, it's not it's just that the 40 days is like, okay, we've got through the 40 days now, that bit's done. It's not that. That is the starting point, if you like. But throughout his life, Jesus continues to obey the Father and to stand fast in the face of temptation. Now our journey through this book of Mark will end on Easter weekend. And what we'll see when we get there is that as Jesus obeyed, is that Jesus obeyed the Father to the point of death on a cross. Now, all of my bookmarks have gone. We've been, um, over, again, over the last few weeks it seems to have come up I think over the last two weeks that we've been, we've been together, some verses from Hebrews chapter 4 that actually say, uh, say that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus, the sinless one, is nailed to a cross paying the cost for our sins, dying the death that our sins deserved, but then raised back to life. That glorious, glorious Sunday. Now, last week we were thinking about 
looking ahead to what will happen when Jesus returns. About new creation, new heavens, new earth, resurrection bodies. You see, in Jesus rising back to life, we can be sure that what happened to Jesus will also happen to us if we put our faith and trust in him. We've turned away. We've repented and actually declared that Jesus, we're going to live with you as king of our lives. See, Jesus is the one who makes a way for us to enter into this dance. This dance of self-sacrificial, self-giving love, of devotion, of serving. I want to just quickly jump back into John 17. Because when Jesus is praying, he's praying to the Father about how the Son glorifies the Father, how the Father glorifies the Son. A little bit earlier, he'd been declaring how the the Spirit will glorify the Son. I want to read you these words. Because this is what is now true for those who have put their, their trust in Jesus. 17 verse 21 I'll go from verse 20 actually read through to verse 24 this is Jesus prayer he says I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. In them. I in them and you in me that they may have become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. He glorifies and glorified us. Not for what we had done, just for who we are. Just as the Father declared his love and affirmation and affection over the Son, not for what he had done, but for who he is. So that is what Jesus has done for us through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. So the question is, are you in the dance? Have you taken hold of this invitation? Romans 8, verse 14 to 17. For all, of, for all of us, for all of those, sorry, who are trusting in Jesus, living with him as king of their lives, who've turned away from our own way, have chosen to follow Jesus, this is true for all of those. Paul writes, for all who are led by the Spirit of God 
as sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's the reality of where we now find ourselves in relationship with Father, Son and Spirit partaking in that dance with them. Just very quickly, I just want to share some thoughts about how actually then does this work itself out in our lives. Sort of, I guess, sort of application points. Not for the sake of feeling like, oh, we've got to put, I've got to just put some points in for us to think about how this applies. But actually, it's really important that we consider what this means for us. It is about our standing in God. And about how Jesus has brought us into relationship with him, or restored relationship with him, sorry, through Christ. But actually, how does it work itself out? And these points I'm taking from Timothy Keller. says, the first is this, is that you've got to be in community. If God is community, if this dance is about how uh, kind of relating to others in community, if we're called to be those who are self-giving, we can only be those who are self-giving if we are in community. You can't do it in isolation. It's not about being static and being self-centered and waiting for, for those to come to you or for things to come to you. It's about actually giving. And so we've got to be in community. We've got to be showing Christ to each other. The second thing is this, is we need to learn how to praise. We need to learn how to glorify God. We need to learn how to worship Him. We need to learn how to thank Him. And Keller suggests that we check our prayer life. What does most of our prayer life consist of? Is it mostly requests and petitions? God, I need you to do this. God, will you do this? It's not to say that we don't do that. We're meant to. We're called to bring our prayers and petitions to God. But actually, does our prayer life also include thanksgiving and praise and adoration? and devotion, and worship. Because if we're part of that dance, it should. Because actually we're looking to to respond to what God is doing, to move to what God is doing. And then thirdly, the thing is this. What does it look like in our lives? It looks like obedience. It looks like giving our lives to Jesus, even if it's going to bring you problems. That does not necessarily sound like good news. But it absolutely is to follow Jesus, to trust in him, to be obedient to him. I'm not saying go looking for problems. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying go looking for trouble. But I'm saying actually we need to be those who give our lives to Jesus and will obediently follow him and obediently trust him, whatever that means. And the reason that we can do that is because Jesus calls us to follow me, to follow him. 
And if Jesus is calling us to follow him, do you know what that means? It means that Jesus will always walk with you. How can we follow someone who is not with us? Surely that's, being, that's him sending us. But he doesn't call us to do that. He calls us to follow him. Which means that as we seek to live lives of obedience, as we give our life to him, whatever that means, whatever problems we face, we know that he will always walk with us. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But before that, I'd love us just to take a moment. There's so much in those opening verses of Mark. There are so many directions that I could have gone in, if you like, in terms of what was shared. But I just felt like for today, just that drawing our eyes to this beautiful relationship within the Godhead of self-giving love that we have been called into and how Jesus has made a way for us to come into that was just such it was just the right place for us to start this journey through Mark. So I just want to invite you, just take a moment. Can just I want you to think actually, is there even if there's one thing that's particularly stirred you today, could be the realization of actually I'm not in that dance. I know I've not responded to this invitation. I know I'm not trusting in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. I know that I've not turned away from my old life and I'm living for God. And actually, if that's you, I'd love to have an opportunity to speak with you afterwards and just kind of walk through that with you. We can talk about actually how do you then enter into the dance. But maybe there's something else that's just really struck you. Maybe just a fresh revelation of who God is, who he's always been. Maybe a a thought of what that means for you in your day-to-day life, of what it looks like to live out this dance, to to take your place within it. Maybe you know there are things, maybe it's that there are things that you know you need to get right with God. Maybe there's something actually, well, whatever it is, I just want us to take a moment to to think on that, not to let this moment pass. Naturally, that each of us would leave here this morning with something to continue to think upon and meditate on in the days to come, to bring back to God in prayer. Let's just take that moment, shall we?